Welcome to my second podcast of Dr. Michelle's Vital Edge, Optimizing Your Body, Brain, and Soul. Today I have an amazing guest with me. I'm very uh, honored and excited to share with you my sensei of three years and also one of my favorite people, Brian Sorter of Sorter Karate. Welcome. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, this is my first podcast. All right. Very exciting. I'm pumped. I'm so happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Good. Um, So we're going to kind of dive into mostly body-related things, but I'm sure we'll touch on some uh, Mm mind-soul happenings along the way, and just really want to hear your story and how you came to the where you are now. Let's do it. All it's right. A good, it's a good story. <laughs> I'm sure I'd it like, is. I'd like to think. So, go. <laughs> go. So, my martial arts journey, I would say, started when I was in seventh grade, like seventh, eighth grade, because I grew up in the, like, Nintendo era, the Nintendo and Sega era. And I was probably six years old when I got my first Nintendo. And in the beginning, it was like, cool, just play Nintendo with your friends. And it was like a small part of my life. And then by third grade, it was becoming a bigger part of my <laughs> right. life in terms of hours played. And I did sports my whole childhood and, you know, track and football and soccer and baseball and basketball and just generally stayed active, had fun doing it. And then those sports sort of slowly diminished and my video gaming slowly increased. <laughs> and so around sixth, seventh grade, I wasn't really playing any sports and I was playing a lot of video games and I was like becoming this chubby kid that I had never been and it kind of freaked my dad out. And so my dad was like, what do I do? Should I talk to him about it? He's like, no, I'll be sneaky about it. I'll just... I'll offer, hey, what do you think about doing karate? I'll throw that out there and, you know, let my son choose. And so he came to me and was like, what do you think about doing karate? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Like not knowing the, the behind <laughs> the, the scenes reasons. Yeah. Uh, until later, years later, he would tell me uh, that he was really scared about sure. where I was headed. And so it was like a last ditch effort to, to get me off the couch. And so I got into karate just as a sort of like, yeah, let's try it out and see how it goes. And within two weeks, I knew that it was something that was going to be a part, a big part of my life for a long time. And if, if you'd asked me at the time, I don't think I could have pointed to like, oh yeah, I like this about it, or that's definitely this other aspect of it. Um, I just liked being on the mats. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed my instructor and how he taught and like working hard and sweating and the levels of difficulty of martial arts. I enjoyed the mental toughness of like memorizing moves and memorizing forms and Japanese terms. And I enjoyed the trying to kick higher and faster and watching people fight was cool. I didn't like to fight. I enjoyed (laughs) watching it. Um, But it was sort of just a feeling that I couldn't even put, you know, any specific reason why it was just the first thing that I got into and then wanted to continue without any pushing from anybody else. Mm -hmm. Like I tended to be a kid who just went along with what people told me to do. Most of my parents, they're like, you should play soccer. Okay. Sure. Yeah. You should play football. All right. 
and I, I like those sports and I like team sports and I was pretty good at them. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't me like, I want to play football and be really good at it. It was just like, I'll go do that thing. Cause someone told me to. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of everything was like that. I was, I didn't have to work that hard in school. I didn't have to study to get A's and just, you go to school and you listen and then you do your homework and then you get A's. Isn't yeah, that, it's not that big of a deal, like, right? It works for everybody. And I was super naive about that's all that's what I think. But... Yeah, you just do stuff and you don't really put that much effort into it. You just do it and then it's fine in the end. So martial arts was the first thing where I deliberately put extra effort into it. I was like, I'm going to go beyond, you know, just the average and I'm going to see how this training, where it can take me. Right. And push and, it. And you kind of knew that just from the very beginning. In the, the first year or so, I just liked being there. Yeah. And I hadn't thought like, yeah, I'll definitely run my own school someday. Mm-hmm. That was no, nowhere on the horizon. And I just liked it. And so I kept doing it. And I saw the black belts there. And, and obviously when you're a little, like a 13-year-old chubby kid and you see black belts doing flips and sure, spinning yeah. kicks, you're like, well, I want to do that for sure. Um, how did they get to do that? Well, they listened to this guy named Stuart Kwan and did what he told them to do, and then they were good. Yeah. I don't know how long that'll take, but I'll just do what he says, and I'll be good. Mm -hmm. And I just totally trusted in him. Luckily, he was a great instructor, because I think if he hadn't been, I still would have just done whatever he said. Right. And just rode that boat wherever it took me. But he uh, he was very good. His skills were very high level. And then also he was very good as a person, cared about his students and cared about just personal growth, you know, not about uh, cool tricks and how many boards you can break. It was more about, uh, are you pushing your limits? Are you challenging yourself? You know, are you facing your weaknesses on a daily basis? And if you're doing that, then you're, you're winning. And I thought that was pretty, that was pretty cool. And at that point I didn't have any other perspective on martial arts instructors, only later would I realize that there's a pretty large portion of them that teach from ego or teach from insecurities and, you know, enjoy berating their students mm. more than lifting them up or challenging them in the right ways. Um, so I was fortunate to get him just first go, first school we, we checked out was this cool guy named Stuart. Mm-hmm. And how long did you train there? I started in 1995 with Stuart and uh, I left for college in 2001 so I was there for those six years pretty pretty much nonstop. Um, first three years or so training just every class I could you know at least one class a day and usually two or three and then training on my own extra and then about three years in I started helping out with classes mm-hmm. and Again, starting out, I had no idea that I would be a teacher at some point, but a couple years in, I just, I love being on the mats, and I, I loved what my sensei had given me, and when Stuart came to me and asked, like, what do you think about teaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was honored and, like, terrified, and, <laughs> sure, yes. but also super excited Yeah, uh, that he would see that potential in me and then give me the chance to develop it, because mm-hmm. I also knew that I wouldn't be good right away. Yeah. That's I knew how hard it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was like, well, he believes in me. So again, I'll just go with the flow like I usually do and mm-hmm. I'll trust the process and mm-hmm. just do what he says. And I'm sure he's a great teacher. So 
if I do what he says, I'll probably become a great teacher too, hopefully. Um, so started doing that. And so the combination of like working myself, working my own weaknesses and trying to build my strengths and then seeing other people work their weaknesses and, and try to show them their strengths, um, that creates a different level of training and understanding when you see other people do what you're trying to do. And from like four-year-olds that are trying to figure out a form yes. to like 70-year-old men who are trying to get some mobility and strength mm-hmm. back and balance and just watching those two struggles and knowing that we're all doing that. We're just all trying to be a little bit better mm-hmm. than we were yesterday. Um, yeah, it kind of supercharged my own training to be inspired by other people like that. So then I kind of started competing too because I, had, I hadn't competed at all and once I was a brown belt which is years into your training um, it seemed like a necessary piece of learning who I was as a martial artist so I didn't like want to compete and want to win I didn't have that competitive like I'm going to dominate kind of drive (laughs) Uh, but I knew it was important to put myself out there and to have other people judge me and to see other schools and other styles and so that's why I did it. Was it hard to start that process initially? Uh, it, yeah, it was. I think the support of like family and dojo friends was what kept me doing it. Because you go to tournaments generally with people from your dojo and you get to see them compete and they watch you and you cheer them on and they cheer you on. And then your failures and your successes are kind of both shared with each other. And if it wasn't for that piece, if it had just been me going and doing you know, what I could and then getting out whatever personal things I could get out of it, I wouldn't have done it for very long. Right. Because I, that process of like, do the same form 400 times <laughs> and then do it one for your training, time. I guess. Yes. Yeah, you do, you train all that time and then for forms divisions, you do one form, you get one shot and then it's scored and that's it. And you're and done. It's over all that work for like minutes. 30 seconds to a minute. <laughs> And then, yeah, you move on to the next thing. And then I did sparring, too. I fought because I knew that I didn't like it, and mm-hmm. I knew it would be good. Push you. Yeah. It's good to force yourself to do those. Do you, so, do you like things. it now, after all these years? The fighting uh-huh. side of it? Not, not personally. Yeah. No. No, I love watching fighting. Mm-hmm. I like when other people fight. Because um, I know how hard it is, and I know the type of dedication it takes to be really good at it. And the sort of courage that it takes to face an unknown person that's trying to hurt you, basically. Sure, yeah. And try to not get hurt by them and try to hurt them back. That it's super real and visceral. Um, so I have a lot of respect for it. I love the art of it and like the, um, the game that fighting is. Trying to set your opponent up and trick them into doing one thing so you can do something else mm-hmm. that they're not ready for. I like the chess match that it is. Um, and... But personally, winning a fight, like immediately when I get first place, I was like, yeah, this is definitely not the secret to life. Right. This is not the secret to my Your thing. Mm -hmm. But you still took it on. Yeah, I still felt like it was an important exercise, an important experience. Especially if I was going to teach other people to do it, I needed to go to competitions and experience it. I didn't feel like it would be okay to just talk about this thing I had never done um, as if I had any you know, real knowledge about it. So yeah, you got to get out there and in the field 
if you're going to command soldiers. So that was a, that was probably more important than my own joy in competing or in winning or any of that stuff. So that's why I did it. Did you feel kind of a drive to do all of that, or did you just do it because you really knew it was an important facet of your continued training? The first tournaments were local, like in Fresno where I grew up. And so just the ease of them being right there in town, go down for a couple hours and compete. And then that's why I got started. Um, Because even with the thought that I need to do this, I need to experience this side of martial arts, I still probably wouldn't have gone way out of my way to do it. Yes. But if it was local and everyone else was going from the school, I was like, I'll go. And then once I realized the challenge that a tournament is and how good it can be for your development and for seeing other people compete and seeing people do well and people that don't do as well and like wondering why that is and what are the missing pieces in those competitors that don't do as well, that intrigued me. And so the study, I think the study of it for me and, and knowing that I was teaching others was really what kept me going. Yeah, because even to this day, I feel like tournaments are, uh, they can be a trap and they can be very negative. Um, I think they can adversely affect your entire martial arts trajectory and career if you approach them the wrong way or if you sort of see them in a way that's not what they really are. Um, they can be a, a real ego builder and not in a good way mm-hmm. um, because martial arts if nothing else should be a tool for improving you yourself as a person not as a fighter necessarily but as a person if you're improving yourself as a fighter only it's so limited you know and especially today like most of us won't have to fight maybe ever right. unless we choose to mm-hmm. and so if we're preparing only for fighting we're never really going to use all the things that we're learning. But if you're fighting against laziness or you're battling fear and learning how to overcome fear and train through fear, that's empowering for anything that you do. Absolutely. That'll translate into school or work or relationships or hopefully just whatever you do as a human. So if that's your goal, it's just getting better as a person and then like fighting skill or form ability or like acrobatics comes along with it that's cool it's a bonus it's, yeah. of course it's yeah. extra fun yes yeah and who doesn't love flipping around and <laughs> stuff? but it, there's a real danger I think in putting too much importance on trophies and medals and I got first and you know you got last that kind of thing because I had tournaments where I did not perform well did not like my form and knew that it wasn't anywhere near my best and I get first place mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's well, a that weird, weird disconnect for mm-hmm. sure yeah, that, that the first time that happened was a real, like, okay, you need to watch out for how much value you put into this tournament thing, because mm-hmm. it could, it's not real, necessarily. Um, and then I'd have other times where I just trained well and crushed my form or fought, you know, what I felt was exceedingly well, or I'd improved from last time, and then, you know, get last, Nothing. get fifth yes. or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it has to come down to your own personal process. And your own personal growth. Because if it's just about the victories, uh, there are ways to get the victories that don't necessarily mean that you got better as a martial artist Mm -hmm. or as a human being. Sure. And that must be hard to do when you're... I mean, I started training later in my life, but when you're a teenager, and especially a male teenager, I mean, not to be stereotypical, but that's... I didn't have that sort of stereotypical male 
teenager drive. I just wasn't that guy. Like I listened to my parents. I was never rebellious. Um, I feel like I was a pretty good kid. Again, I was very amiable. And if everyone was kind of happy with me, that was when I was my happiest. Right. Um, so yeah, I didn't have that, like, I'm going to dominate everybody <laughs> and I'm going to get all the girls and all the money. It just wasn't who I was. So I didn't have, that wasn't one of my weaknesses. You know, I had other weaknesses that I felt like I needed to work on. Okay. So how, um, how did you kind of finish that part of your, that chapter of your life and then move into, you know, owning a dojo, a very successful, amazing dojo? So uh, well up until I moved to college, I was black belt at that point, but I still had no thoughts of running my own school. Mm -hmm. I still was very much tied to my school in Fresno and to Stewart and the thought of opening a school there in Fresno didn't sound right. didn't make sense. It would be like, would it be competing with his school? It, just, it felt weird. And I didn't have anywhere else that I thought I wanted to live. So I just wasn't on that track. It wasn't on my mind. Um, and I was very much into writing at that point. And in fact, that's the reason I went to college was a school in Virginia opened a, a creative writing program. And it was a super small private school that focused mainly on homeschool kids and I had been homeschooled in high school and was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of ready for something different because I'd grown up in the same town and lived there for my whole life and just hadn't really seen a ton of the world The yet. world, yeah. yeah. So I was like, I'll do it. I'll go to Virginia and live the college life and like just open up new doors and see what happens. So that's where I met Christina, who would be my wife later, and she was really the one who was like, you know, you, she saw me train a little bit and compete a little bit. And she saw me teach a little bit and she had trained in martial arts as a kid. And so had some understanding of martial arts schools and teaching and what's good teaching or, or bad teaching. And was like, you know, you're really good at this. You, Mm -hmm. you probably should try to do this. And I was kind of hesitant and didn't, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to commit to that level. Um, because I knew it would be hard to run my own school. And I knew that there were things I didn't even understand, like in terms of difficulty yet. I knew they were out there, but I had no idea what they were yet. But I just had a sense that it was a bigger deal. Looming than, over you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bigger deal than, no, I just open it and yeah, it'll be it'll fine. It'll just run itself. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so we moved to Scotland after we got married and lived there for a year when she, while she was in school. And she started writing up like a business plan and we started putting together what would be our curriculum and our like handbooks for students. And still I was like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I'm nervous about all of this. Um, and kind of noncommittal about it, but how old were you at that time? So I was 23 at that point, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 22, 23, just a young buck. Well, that's a, that's a big a phase child. of life, right? Trying to figure yeah. out what you're going to do. Early 20s, figure mm-hmm. out who you are, what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I didn't take it lightly. and But little piece by little piece, we built what would become the things that would open the dojo. And when we moved back to the States, moved to Tennessee where she finished school, and I taught a couple of self-defense courses at the local like athletic club and did a few lessons here and there with various people 
and just just got my like toe in the pond and and then it was like okay this we're gonna do this we're gonna give it a shot and so then it was like where do we live and I had been to Bend um, I think once before that and thought that's a cool place and I knew I wanted to be on the west coast and I knew but I knew I didn't want to be in California that was kind of my those were the only requirements your parameters yeah yeah and Bend had the outdoor lifestyle that I liked and it had the weather that I liked and I was like all right it's Bend and Christina had never been to Bend (laughs) and I just asked her to move to this new place she grew up on the east coast so yeah just move across the country (laughs) to this place that I've been to once and you've never been to and just trust me it'll be fine and uh, she did and she at first you know we drove in on highway 20 and there's nothing yeah it's weird out there it's (laughs) desert and weirdness and so driving in she was she was pretty freaked out Mm -hmm. in the the last like 10 five miles like welcome to bend it's still kind of remote out there and so she was freaked out until we drove past uh, the costco once she drove to the Costco, it was like, okay, so if there's a Costco, how bad it must be good. So it's got sure. a, yeah, they have a Costco. I think we can survive. <laughs> so yeah, then we moved in May of 2005, and then August of 2005, we opened the school. That's and very we, impressive. We had kind of planned on waiting and like seeing if we liked Bend and maybe getting saving up some money and just making sure it was the place we wanted to stay, but. Two and a half months later, we were like, yeah, no, this is Let's the place. Do it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. And so you started in a different building than you're in today, we correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started above a radio shack, which is a fun <laughs> Which memory, is now closed. Which is now closed. <laughs> Poor radio shack. Very near the last blockbuster that exists. Know, which it's a weird area <laughs> in Bend, strange. Oregon. Yeah. Vortex of Bend. Right across the street from yes. blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... We opened there, super small space. It was like a hallway, and we had room to hold maybe 20 people in there at a time, and it immediately became crowded. And we were like, well, that's good. Like, that's a good problem to have. People seem to like it. How did you, I mean, let me back you up for a second. How did you start uh, collecting people for your students? I mean, what did you do? Yeah, that's a good question. We were brand new to Bend, and so our first adult students. Tim Casey, who used to work for the Ben Chamber of Commerce, um, he was one of our first adult students, and actually Wendy Howman uh-huh. was one of our first students. She came to our ribbon cutting. Oh no way! And had <laughs> done martial arts before, and so mm. it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about getting back into it. And so, That's so great. She started, and yeah, she's still. Teaching dominant black force. belt and such a dominant <laughs> force in the dojo. Yeah, she, that's a really cool circle, and uh, one of my oldest friends. Um, yeah, Wendy's the best. She's amazing. And then my first child student was the guy who installed our cable and internet at our house. <laughs> he had a son, and he was like, "Oh, you're starting a karate school. That's cool. Uh, my son wants to do karate, so uh, we should we'll sign up." And we actually did his introductory lesson in our living room because oh, we didn't have great. a dojo yet. That's so great. So he was our first official student with the first introductory lesson and everything. I love it, yeah, Caleb. And he's uh, living back in Bend now, too. That's great. So, yeah, that's where our humble beginnings, just word of mouth and people that we met. So, And then how did your curriculum and your kind of early business plans, did those things shift? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, when we started, I had had 
Shotokan karate training, which is one style of martial art. And I think once one of the misconceptions people have is that a martial arts black belt is the same regardless of where they are in the world or what kind of style they train in. Sure, it's just yeah. like martial arts is martial arts, right? But they're, that's very incorrect. <laughs> There's lots of different ways to earn a black belt and lots of different styles of fighting and styles of movement. Um, so my Shotokan karate, like that's a very limited view of the martial arts ocean. It's like a couple drops in mm-hmm. the ocean. So a couple of years into the school, I felt that reality and MMA was kind of coming into popularity. And so wrestling and, and jujitsu were on in the forefront of people's minds when it came to martial arts now. And I knew I had to get it into that world and I knew, I knew I had to become a part of that world. Um, so I got an email from, uh, a sensei, a jiu-jitsu instructor named Roy Dean, who lived in San Diego at the time and was moving to Bend and was like, hey, can I rent space at your dojo for my jiu-jitsu classes? And I was like, absolutely. And I would love to train the with you The perfect segue, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, so he moved in and, and again, I lucked out because he is just a super Incredible. cool martial artist and a really cool person. Mm-hmm. Just a really good, humble, like kind of caring person and instructor. Um and super knowledgeable. I mean, he trained with a man named Roy Harris, who's world-class in terms of all martial arts instruction, but definitely mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. So I lucked out there and took advantage of it. And so I started my own jiu-jitsu journey. And so, again, going back to like teaching people what you've gone through, I wasn't going to watch a video or read a book and then expect to be able to teach people jiu-jitsu. I knew I needed to do it and like mm. suffer yeah it's a big it's, undertaking <laughs> it's a challenging art yeah to be a black belt and to have my own school and then to be pinned down on the ground helpless by a 140 pound man yeah or woman I mean the women at that dojo crushed me just as well as the men <laughs> did early yes. on it was beautiful it's a great it's such a great art and it Initially seeing that, I was like, well, I definitely have to make this part of my life. Yeah. I definitely have to share this with my students because their martial arts curriculum is not complete mm-hmm. without wow. this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it, it taught me, you know, again, I got to sort of revisit the idea of strengths and weaknesses and being humble and learning from someone else, you know, who has these skills that you desire and listening to them and succeeding and failing and doing it next to other people who are doing the same thing and like the brotherhood that builds in those kinds of schools is so powerful um so yeah got to meet new friends got to learn new skills and knew that I was laying groundwork that would spread into my students and would really help them just be better Mm -hmm. martial artists so was it hard to be kind of a student again and um, also now running a dojo and yeah. being a teacher, the sensei? I had, I had no problem being like submitted and choked out. And right, like, right. I kind of liked it. I sure. kind of liked being terrible again at something and like having no concept of what was good or what was the right thing to do. It was beautiful to like be. Like a little clean slate again. Yeah, it uh-huh. was so clean. Because if you don't know, jiu-jitsu doesn't allow striking you can't punch or kick or elbow people which is the world of karate so mm-hmm. I just couldn't do any of the things that I knew how that to do in your wheelhouse yeah, yeah all mm-hmm. new stuff which is really great to have like to be forced to do that um and so it just got it reminded me of Stuart and his openness to different martial arts styles 
and I knew that's the way. That's the way to do it. People that commit to one style, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, unless you say that your style is the best style, it's the, the only style, and like no one else is, you know, is worth anything if they don't do your style. That's silly. But, um, but I, I really appreciate people who are open to everything. Like, yeah, I'll do jump kicks and I'll do, I'll do takedowns and slams and I'll do chokes and armbar you and I'll do tai chi and I'll do all of it. I, I like that mindset. Well, it all benefits itself yeah. and you as a human being in your development. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me, uh, I'd love to back up one more time here. Let's and, do it. And uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your black belt journey um, in yeah. karate and then also a little more on Sensei Stewart. So black belt has this stigma and this these like misconceptions and prejudices from TV and movies and just general um, society. Uh, I think people think black belts, if you're a black belt, you're automatically a really good fighter. You're automatically um, an honorable person. Like you're automatically probably a good teacher. And none of those things are true. Mm-hmm. Like those are skills independent from earning a belt. Because the belt in the end is just, it's the cloth you wear around your waist. but if the work that went into that belt is not what it should have been, then the belt, you know, is lesser. Right. And if your attitude about other people is not a certain way, then your belt means very little. So for me, immediately Stuart taught us that humility is the way and that like love and kindness and compassion are the way. And you'd never use your martial arts to stand over people or to feel dominant. That if you can feel dominant over your past self, that's great. Mm -hmm. If you can feel like you beat the weaknesses that you have, then that's good. But just feeling joy from beating other people is not necessarily the way. Um, So through that, and my own black belt training, um, black belt is very difficult physically if you do it right. Um, You're asking your body to do things that it's never done before if you do it right. Um, From simple things like holding a stance while your legs burn and just the simplicity of that. You know, like you don't move, you just just hold still. And when you want to come up out of that stance, just don't. <laughs> like it, it, the simplest stuff is sometimes the best stuff for mm-hmm. creating like a true tough black belt mind. So simple things like that, you know, running hills, doing things until you puke, just because that, uh, I think your body puking and rejecting the training <laughs> and then you continue anyway is really powerful <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah if you push yourself to your quote-unquote limits and then your body fails you but then you just stand back up and keep going there's very little that can build confidence like that you know it's not stuff you read in a book it's stuff you have to really feel and live through and it's choices you have to make like i don't want to do that but i'm going to mm-hmm. because it's going to make me better or simply for the reason that it's hard I'm going to do that because I'm scared or I'm going to do that because it's hard. And I felt that again and again in Black Belt. Um, And Stuart was always sort of the one to point at the scary stuff and point at the hard stuff and then not force us to do it. Just kind of like you, like that's over there. Mm -hmm. You could do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you, you know, it's your choice. And I think more than anything else is that ability for him to point away and then let you choose and so let you feel like you 
did it to yourself, for better or for worse, <laughs> it was really great. Because uh, there was no one to blame in the end but me. Because right. I decided to do it, walk that path. And then also the victory was the mine. empowering of that, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I climbed Black Belt Mountain. There's a literal mountain that we, as a school, would use to, to finish the training. It was like a five-month process to go through all the, the pre-test for Black Belt. And then the different trips out into the wilderness to train and to just be tested again and again, and then the final test itself. Um, so to be on, like on, on, 100% for five months is difficult. It's very intense. And I was in college at the time, so doing, you know, 18 credits and then working and then also doing that was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there was a toughness that had been built in me through the training that it you was a lot. Quit. And yeah. I knew it was a lot, but I was more than willing to pay the, the toll. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of accomplishment at the end of that, both just personally and then as a martial artist. Um, and then the, the funniest thing, I and mean, the thing I didn't expect was the joy that other people got from me getting my black belt. Um, you know, students I trained with or, or the kids that I worked with, they were in some ways more excited for me <laughs> than I were. was. Yeah. Right. Yeah, everyone was excited to come and like feel it and <laughs> and talk about it and ask questions that I couldn't answer for them because there are certain things that are sort of secret sure. about the training. Um, and then obviously my parents, my family were so stoked and uh, and th- they had a hard position because I couldn't really talk to them about the training. Okay. They just, they got to see me come home just broken mm-hmm. and wrecked and dirty and bloody and, and just pass out for, you know, and just wonder what I was, what, what, what was you went through yeah. and wondering how they could help. Like mm-hmm. there was not a lot they could do other than be like good job yeah, <laughs> like, I'm make I hope, some soup <laughs> yeah here's some food a lot of food and uh I hope it's going well yeah <laughs> like they're su- as supportive as they can be sure. when they don't know what's going on but yeah it was a victory for me and for a lot of other people that I didn't know were invested so that was a fun that's surprise. amazing yes yeah. and then Sensei Stewart the rest of his journey yeah so Stewart was an amazing competitor himself and martial artist himself, but never talked about it. Uh, we had to sort of do research to find out that he was a national champion. <laughs> he was on these magazine covers and this big deal. Uh, I did know that he played the Red Power Ranger in the yeah. Power Ranger movie. Like that, that poster was on the, the wall in the dojo. He hated it. The poster. I bet. I bet. Didn't, but you yeah, guys probably hated it. His wife put it up because uh-huh. um, he he would never do something like that. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, for me, a 13-year-old kid, I wasn't into Power Rangers, but knowing that he was the guy they picked for that, I was like, okay, this dude's dude's serious. Um, But he still acted and he did stunt work and ran the dojo and, you know, made time for friends and stuff. He balanced a lot of things and did it all really humbly and well. And so just watching him as a person was a big deal. And then finding out slowly over time his martial arts skills was really cool and inspiring too um and he so i started the school in may of 2005 or in uh, august rather of 2005 and then in january of 2006 you know like six months later he died Mm -hmm. he died suddenly after snowboarding his heart failed you know he had some sort of weird heart anomaly and it just gave out on him and he just died in the car immediately um I think he was 42 or 43 when he died. Super young, yeah. Super young. Um, And there was no preemptive, like, 
you know, I have a heart condition. Warning signs. We didn't know Nothing. any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And neither did his family. It was just very sudden. Suddenly he was not there. It's so traumatic. Yeah, for me personally, it was up to that point the most traumatic thing I'd ever experienced. You know, I'd never had grandparents that I was super close to die. My parents are still alive. And so it was the first death that really shook me as a person. I felt, you know, cheated out of all the years I'm that sure. I wouldn't get and all the things that his family wouldn't get of him and his dojo and my dojo. The realization that he would never meet any of the students I ever trained was heartbreaking. It's such a loss, yeah. Yeah, that was crushing. Um, when I got the phone call that he died, I was sort of in shock and didn't really respond emotionally until the next day when I told my school because I had to go out of town to go to his funeral. I was like, I'm not going to be here uh, Friday. There's no class. So, you know, it's because my instructor died and I just lost it. Uh, that, I yeah. wasn't ready for it, but I yeah. just, and they, they, my, the parents and kids are watching me like, why is he bawling suddenly? Like out of nowhere. And, uh, and it was, yeah, it was traumatic for the whole school. Um, and then I was like, what am I going to do? I have no like black belt, a senior to like look up to now right. like someone who runs the business side of things too like the business is a very scary side of the martial arts world and I mean, I he just, was your mentor on so many levels yeah he was my buddy too I just right. I mean, we would read scripts together before he'd go on auditions and um, we would set up we would choreograph fight scenes together that he would take down to LA and then work with and it, we were just friends and liked a lot of the same stuff and he introduced me to cliff jumping and like a lot of fun <laughs> activities and so yeah he was just my, my friend um, and so the realization that he wasn't going to be there and that none of my questions were going to be answerable now, um, it was, it was brutal. Uh, but at the same time coming out of the, the ceremony, the funeral, I was like, okay, I need to run the school well now. Mm -hmm. If he's gone and at that point, the school there was really in limbo because he was the beating heart of it. And there were a lot of black belts, but none that wanted to fully take it on necessarily. And Debbie, his wife, had one idea about how the school should be, sort of his ideas. And then other people had a different idea about where the school should go based on their ideas. And they didn't match up. And there was a lot of fighting. And it was really quickly uh, a nasty battle. It really mm -hmm. quickly got ugly. And I was not ready for that either. Like within six months sure, of his death, yeah. the disregard for his wishes was shocking um so that was painful to watch too but again that watching the school there kind of split and then um struggle was just more fuel for me mm -hmm. like okay if yeah, they're if they're not going to keep going with his hopes and his vision that's your job almost yeah. yeah i yeah. definitely took that on like okay i have to do this now um and when it gets really tough and i don't want to do it anymore because <laughs> it does get really tough uh, I still have that burning thing down in my core that's like, you've got to keep this alive for him. That's amazing. It's probably not the right way necessarily to be. <laughs> it's, it's maybe not super healthy or like tenable long-term, but yeah, it's, it's still very much For now, there. it fuels that fire, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the main fuels. Yeah, he was an incredible man. Uh, way more incredible a man than he was a martial artist and he was an amazing martial artist yeah that's incredible well yeah. what a great um, 
you know, person for you to have been born from in some ways, yeah. you know, your martial arts career. He's my and, martial arts dad. Um, and for sure. Yeah. I got real lucky with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Martial arts is a weird thing. It's sort of a two edged sword. Like a lot of people get into it seeking empowerment, uh, oftentimes a power that they lost and maybe in childhood, maybe just, they don't feel like they're strong or that the world sees them or cares about them. And so martial arts becomes this vehicle for gaining strength and physical power and learning to fight, especially for men is one of the main ways you can feel that power as a human. And that can get real dicey if that becomes your focus. And I think uh, a lot of instructors, like again, going back to black belt, not meaning that much in and of itself. A lot of instructors have an ego they're feeding, have way too much concern for themselves and not the students and are willing to let their own insecurities sort of spill out on their students in the form of, you know, a, stu- a sense they shouldn't really yell at a student for not doing something well. You coach them and you mm-hmm. teach them and you tell them what they didn't do correctly and then you let them work on it and fix it. figure it out, yes. Yeah. yeah, there's no reason for that other thing. That other thing, yelling at students, abusing students, is comes from a different place, mm-hmm. not one of like helping or wanting to be, wanting to grow people. It's more about feeling power. Mm -hmm. And there's no certification for running a dojo. Like anybody, anybody could get a black belt, could buy one (laughs) and open a school. I should do that. You should, you totally should. Yeah, right across the street from us, we can battle each other. Yeah, let's do it. No, anybody could. If you're 18. crazy, I did not know that. And you have access to a black belt. You can pretend all you want. Now, the internet has made that very difficult. Sure. Like it used to be much more prevalent, and people would lie about where they trained and who trained them, and now you can just Google it and be you like, you didn't out. train with that yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's harder to be you know, full crap when you are when you got the internet. So the internet does good things, too. That's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, but like in Bend alone, I think I can think of five instructors who are now in jail or prison. It's terrible. Because of the... You know, abuse, abuse. that they've uh-huh. inflicted on people, and it's just it's because martial arts can draw a certain type of broken person, and it's because it's a, there's a real ease of access into leadership mm-hmm. in a dojo. It's why we as a dojo use darkness to light, and all of our instructors have to have a certain training before they become instructors, and we have cameras and like the whole protective systems in place just to make sure that doesn't happen um, because. I think when a when a predator or when someone who's been injured like that sees how easy it is to like, oh, I just trained for a couple of years and then I can run classes and like be the boss. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, a couple more years I can run my own school and like boss everybody around and do mm-hmm. whatever I want. That sounds cool. Like it's way too easy to be an instructor. And the public gives black belts. Some credence yeah, right they, away. They just yeah. right away give them the respect and honor that they don't necessarily deserve. Um I think parents should really be leery about any coach or any leader, you know, church leader, coach, martial arts instructor, anybody. You just can't really trust anybody, unfortunately. Um, You have to really watch and see how they interact with people and what is their motive. Yes, the intention. Is this feeding them or is this Mm -hmm. feeding the group? Um, Which, if you're looking for that specifically, it's not that hard to see. Mm -hmm. And you can feel it in a community of a school. That's one of the things I'm proud of about our school is that 
like I'm the head instructor, but there's other instructors that people really love and respect. And then there are these groups that form of like friendships and people do stuff outside the dojo and like go to lakes and hang out. And, <laughs> like we do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, travel together and their kids grow up together and yes, like, it creates a real really community. cool community, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in some ways, again, because we're not probably going to battle tomorrow, way more powerful than any of the martial arts that we teach. Like that, being kind to each other and accepting people and being loving in general and just wanting to sort of enjoy life and have a good time together is way better. That's really important. Yeah, than any punch we could teach. So, Well, I think you've also really established a place where um, we all feel, I mean, as a student of yours, we feel some pride in our training and we see um, how much dedication you've put into this really incredible curriculum that fosters just awesome human beings and we we all get to witness you know these changes whether it's in a kid that's on the mats in a rank test or Mm -hmm. you know for me a 45 year old body that is doing things that I never thought were possible before Mm -hmm. and uh growing on many many different levels not just physically but emotionally and spiritually too yeah yeah that's the hope because the kicking and punching is fun and it's cool. It's super fun. Yeah. <laughs> and sparring is can be fun. And yes. like weapons and it's all really cool. Um, but not nearly as cool as the other stuff. Yeah. The love and the friendships and the, the community. So, yeah, that, that, that sort of happened. I didn't really even consciously foster it. Like when Christina and I were running it, we did have occasional like picnic days or activities that we sort of ran. But most of it's just internal and you know, people say organic a lot, but it, it's very organic. Well, you planted the seed and then, you know, it's just grown from there and you guys yeah. have made sure to, to kind of keep it in the right direction, you know, mm-hmm. with the way you train and the way you uh, coach and teach. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of, a lot of the senses right now are just very uh, compassionate and patient with, for sure, with students that fumble around with, you know, the very difficult moves of karate. <laughs> and that's definitely the way to be. Because the worst thing you can do when someone's up against their weakness or their insecurity is then, you know, put more pressure on them or berate them or if they're trying really hard but they fail and you're, you know, you yell at them or you ignore them or something. It's so demoralizing because mm-hmm. that the most, you know, you're at your lowest point and you're, I know a lot of the adults question, like, why am I doing this? all the time like I'm I'm 35 I'm 40 I'm 45 whatever the age is why am I punching and kicking and getting sore like this and it's dude why don't I just sit on the couch and like watch Netflix and I totally get that feeling Mm -hmm. like yeah you could do that and it would probably be really fun and maybe not super enriching as a person but really enjoyable (laughs) for a time through life coast Uh right on through Yeah. yeah we do have a position in this country You know, most people have an option to live a very easy life. And so when adults come in and they have kids and jobs and family and like all the things are balancing in their life and then they throw my style of martial arts into the mix, I have nothing but respect for that person Mm -hmm. because I know how hard my style of martial arts is. Yes. Physically, mentally, emotionally, just all of it. And so another ball to juggle that is only mostly going to make you feel challenged all the time um and the second you get like a 
a victory looking at the next challenge <laughs> literally in the moment sometimes you're just like, yeah oh, you're i just threw a great jump spinning hook and immediately the next one is like cool terrible. now here's this next thing <laughs> yeah no i i love that pursuit and the constant climbing for the next level um it's really hard to keep pushing people like that it is hard on me emotionally to see people fail and like have to pick themselves up but i know it's really valuable and it, and I know the difficult thing is usually the right thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I push people so hard. Um, because then when they're on the other side of it and they see where they pushed, what they pushed through, the pride that comes from yeah, that. Yeah, it's like, beyond worth it. The real pride. It's not like a false pride. Right. Like I gave you a belt because you showed up. I definitely don't do that. No. <laughs> As you well know. <laughs> um, I think that would feel, that would make people more, um, either more insecure because they knew they didn't earn it. Or more egotistical and prideful because they feel like, yeah, I'm a purple belt. Sure. And, just, and neither of those things are what you're things what trying want. to want no. to do. Yeah. No. So I honor the clawing forward that people do, even when the climb is really steep and it's like millimeter by millimeter. Yeah. It's um, real gritty. I mean, I mm-hmm. think about, you know, our training and it's... It, it's easy to get caught up in like, oh, I want to get my black belt. I mean, I, I felt that kind of impetus and that yeah. um, draw as soon as I started with you guys. And uh, and now I've been humbled into knowing that that doesn't matter. And it's, mm-hmm. it's my goal, of course, but it's just slow and steady. And there's setbacks. And I used to get really mad about that when I'd have an injury or you know, yeah. have to kind of interrupt your, yes. And like, flow. no, but I'm there five days a week. Come on. Like, this is mm-hmm. what I, what I want to do. And, um, so there's a little bit of grace that comes with the grit over time and hopefully, yeah, that's great that, that, people. that you're feeling that because yeah, some people, I won't say never, but take a long time to get there. You know, they're just, they ride themselves super hard all the time and there's no grace. Mm-hmm. And then other people, need way too much grace yes. need to ride themselves Not harder grit there, yeah. yeah but again the community of the dojo sort of helps open people's eyes to those different things they can see somebody who's pushing really hard maybe more harder than they should and be like wow that's really inspiring i'm gonna i can push harder Add a yeah, little bit. i can yep. go i can go more and and they talk to each other like you are getting really good what do you do and yeah they're sharing information like joanna with her hundred jump spinning crescent yeah. kicks like they look amazing because exactly. she dedicated that a hundred a day for mm-hmm. 30 days so real simple yeah in practice like, like hard to diligent, do diligent really yes yes and then other people go oh okay 100 a day all right i think i can do that and <laughs> yeah and then the, the, the like joy of accomplishment spreads yes throughout with the other people well, and I definitely awesome. think that's um, a big part of what the feel is right now. I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things come and go and different feelings in your For sure. community. But I would yeah. say, I mean, I got kind of lucky in coming in at a glory time, maybe. You and, did. You, uh, you hit a, an interesting rise, in yeah. the, especially in the adult department. Sure. The adults training right now, are there's a definite, there's like a shared joy and a shared struggle and it's a real team moving it through. Is. Yeah, you're a little tribe. Yeah, and there's like tiny bits of competition that are perfect amounts, you know, mm-hmm. sprinkled in so mm-hmm. that we want to do better, but not so we want to, you know, squash each other. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, sometimes with a back fist or something, but not really. In the best way. Yeah, in the yeah. best way. In a nice way. Yeah. So, and speaking of, um, you know, adult training, like what, how is, how do you keep up with it all, you know, and balance yeah, your own training good. and... That's a good question. Sensei. 
Yeah, so a world of, you know, 13 years old to now 37 years old is a lot of martial arts. And for me, initially, one thing we didn't do a lot at Stewart's was conditioning other than martial arts and, like, recovery. Yeah. And, quote-unquote, stretching and, like, mobility stuff. Well, and that wasn't quite as popular no, during nobody. that I mean, decade very few, anyway. I should say very few people were doing it back in like the 90s. Right. It was like, just go harder and... Yeah. Go harder and take ibuprofen. Like yeah. that was, that was the order of the day. It's very not Vitamin I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I did that stuff and I really broke my body down mm-hmm. and uh, I'm paying for it now in a big way. Like I had injuries to my ankles, um, some martial arts related and some not. Uh, but some pretty serious kind of twists and tears and, you know, broken bones and stuff. And it's still really, really messed up. <laughs> it probably should have been surgery Fixed for me initially. Yeah, yeah, probably. It was right on that borderline of like, it might heal fine. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's a lot of junk in my ankles for sure. And then my hips are pretty shredded. Uh, arthritis is for sure in my future. Um so my own training, and then jujitsu was a new kind of movement pattern. So it was really cool to do jujitsu and not have to jump, spin, and kick. Yeah. And like it requires a different flexibility than for karate sure. does, and mm-hmm. a different like explosiveness than karate. So my body really enjoyed that for the first three years. This new way to move that wasn't in those old patterns that hurt so much. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of pain. So the stuff that I do now is just to alleviate pain mostly. And not like I'm not pushing for the national championships, right? And I definitely have shifted my from athlete to coach, you know, to teacher. That shift is much more heavy on teacher now than it was even like five years ago. Um, I definitely see myself now as the sensei, the teacher, the coach, and I can still do certain things. I could still do a standing backflip, and I could still kick relatively high and fast uh, yeah. compared to <laughs> not well, let me just demo this for to, you but, you know compared to the average <laughs> we're person. all like what <laughs> yeah. just like that it just it comes at a cost like it, all of that hurts a lot more now than mm-hmm. it used to so whenever I do something in class and you see it and you like it just know that <laughs> you're suffering yeah <laughs> and uh yeah I'll, I'll pay that price occasionally but the other thing is my teaching schedule like teaching four to six classes in a row five days a week is uh that's a heavy it's schedule. dominating your time yeah and so i can't like do all the stuff everybody does in every class or i would just die yeah that would you know, be just fly apart too much so balancing that the teacher role versus the you know the martial artist or the athlete role um initially was very painful and like hard to do and frustrating and 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 also part of me feels like as the sensei, you should be badass for yeah for your students to, to demo you show and show that. the yeah. right way. Yeah, and so to know that the, the slope is a downward slope into older age, and that like backflips probably will disappear yeah. at certain points, and like my splits went away, and mm-hmm. those kinds of things will go. Um, that's tough to deal with mentally, um, and I know Stuart battled those same things and hated the same realities. Sure, so. That's tough, but I'll, I'll sort of learn to deal with it. I am learning to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every now and then, creaky old sensei might 
<laughs> throw a jump spinning kick that impresses people. Um, Pretty much yeah. always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then how do you... Um, I, I, you know, I love the fact that basically you're training kind of elite athletes. I mean, ultimately, if somebody's going to work their way toward yeah. black belts and... Um, but you also train people who have no idea how to move their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes those people are all in the same class. Yeah. So how do you keep it interesting, safe, you know, enjoyable, but also along the curriculum so that we can all, you know, do this? Yeah. That's a great question. I feel sometimes like to explain it or to like show the magic trick. I, it might stop working or it might, I might realize it's insane and that I shouldn't be doing it or that it'll fall apart. Um, but cause one answer is I don't really know. I look at every student and every class when they come in, I want them to work hard and I want them hopefully to get a little better at something. That's the goal for everybody. Now for a 16 year old kid who's sort of reaching a peak of explosiveness and aggression and can jump four feet straight up in the air. His limit, his push is a little different than the 45-year-old mom who hasn't played sports in 20 years and still works a full-time job, you know, and mm-hmm. just wants, like, a new experience or maybe is training with her kids and wants right. just to share that with them. But she can push, too. Mm-hmm. And she can be challenged. And she can be forced to do things that she didn't think she could do and so feel that accomplishment, too. It just might not be, you know, a double jump spinning kick where she right. lands in the splits or something. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so much room for finding challenge and for overcoming obstacles, mental, physical, emotional, past experience. Like, I think the adult process is a little different than the kid process. Adults tend to work out their past when they're training and kids tend to work towards their future Mm -hmm. you know their superhero selves yeah and it's a very different place to train from Uh, but both require the same material they require challenge and for you to tell them when they do things that are incorrect and then tell them how to do it correctly and then tell them whether they did what you told them to do or not (laughs) sometimes that process (laughs) takes a long time Uh, and then everybody in the end feels like they succeeded or they failed and they'll try again tomorrow mm-hmm. and, then, and then they do yeah hopefully they come back not everyone comes back well that's yeah that's part of it but most people right now that we have are very hardcore and are and not just like accepting of the challenges but are like diving head first into the <laughs> challenges which is really it's awesome fun to watch I imagine it's scary for me sometimes I'm I'm like, well, don't be too don't listen to me that much mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do don't be that hardcore mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about you uh, yeah, balance I think is important for sure. Family and work and friends and and then dojo fits somewhere in there, but maybe it shouldn't be the most important thing mm-hmm. in your life. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it should. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure there's ebbs and flows of all of that 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 keep it. Uh... Yeah, when people are super passionate, I'm, I'll I'll open the gates for them and encourage them to run free right and then their knee swells up and they're like oh darn never mind and they have to back off a little bit and i'll encourage them to back off a little bit do something different a little Mm -hmm. bit for a while yeah encouraging people to be aware to be self-aware 
of what they're doing and how it affects themselves and, and how it affects everyone around them. And right. Just to know when to push the pedal, when to push the brake. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that about you in our classes. I mean, you know, if you come in with something that's a little bit restrictive or, or coming off of an injury or something, yeah. then we're usually able to moderate things a little bit or at least yeah. tell our partner like, Hey, don't, you know, submit me on the right side or something like that. Yeah. Modifying is huge. And I, I studied CrossFit for many years and trained in it. And that's a, one of their components is that everybody can do it because you mm-hmm. can modify you can mm-hmm. less weight, fewer reps, right? you know, a slightly less range of motion if you're, if you can't do if it, you're limited, yeah. but always working towards being able to really do it. Uh-huh. And so yeah, we, you, you modify and some days you feel awesome and you should ride that wave. Right. And some days you feel like yesterday was awesome. I and you rode a little too hard. Today. Yep. Yes. That wave crushed me and now I need to go easy. And, uh, yeah, there should be a place to go easy too. I didn't go easy a lot in my own training. Yeah. And so I won't push people in that way when there's, um, you know, potential injuries involved and people have gotten hurt, like broken bones in their feet and hands during tests and wanted to keep going mm-hmm. and the adrenaline like helps you. Like, yeah. yeah. You can do yeah, this. That's fine. <laughs> when I know full well that now you broke a bone in your foot. You need yeah, to, it's you time need to, to be stop. done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you twisted your knee. It's at the least sprained May You might've torn something in there. So let's stop. Um, and then usually they're sad in the beginning and then, and then appreciate they're grateful. Later. Yeah. I mean, you're really good at keeping people safe, even though you're pushing them to do sometimes insane things. Yeah, a good coach has to know the downsides mm-hmm. of both of like the injury potential, of the emotional scarring that can happen. Like in martial arts, that's that's so ready. Anytime you have fighting in the mix, emotional trauma is is right there. Yeah. So you have to be very careful about that. Um, a, a lot of teachers can be maybe a little too cavalier, having had the experience that their instructor pushed them to be wild and cavalier and like push through pain and fear and just go 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 yeah and maybe it worked for them and it does work for some people but it's that's a real dangerous game to play Mm -hmm. because it it can go off the rails really fast for sure so yeah you have to be i mean we only have one body for this lifetime so it's like you know i'll I'll hope to take it you know um so where do you see things going in the future i'm sure that's a little bit of a loaded question but just What's, I mean, do you have yeah. any goals for the next day or <laughs> month or <laughs> 10 years? I don't know. Well, I have a weird position as the leader of the school because we have nine belts, nine belt levels. And I have to sort of, I, I talk about it like this. It's like spinning plates. So I'm spinning nine plates all the time simultaneously. <laughs> I got to keep the white belts going. I got to keep the yellow really belts anxious. going. I got to keep the red belts and the black belts <laughs> on the other end going. And, uh. So there's not a ton of planning and part of that's because the curriculum is the way it is and it was set up the way it's set up for particular reasons so that you do learn certain things along the way. Even if it's not your strength, you're going to learn this thing in this belt level, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And so if you make it to the next belt, you have, you've done enough in that area, whether it's kicking or punching or grappling or whatever. Um, And so the sort of long-term, I don't have a lot of long-term sight in terms of changing things. It's going pretty well, and the community that's built right now makes me think we're doing some things right. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that people really like it, 
uh, makes me think we're doing some things right. Yeah. So for now, I'm kind of like, well, we'll just kind of keep let it, it this let way. It do its thing. My, my biggest fear is in like, the, the unknown for me is the business climate of Bend because martial arts is not a primary need. Mm-hmm. So when the recession of 2008 hit, you know, we felt that in a big way. Um, and there's, you know, talk of another one on the way and whether it happens or not. Karate is definitely not the first thing that people will pay for. And so if stuff gets tough, we were going to feel that. And I don't get to translate that into my rent payments going down. So <laughs> yes. those kinds of thoughts and trying to plan around that and manage you the business side. the ups and downs. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do more of now. And then also we still hand out DVDs and writ, like typed out hand books for people. So going digital is probably going to be necessary. In the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More and more people are like, we don't even have a DVD player anymore. Right, right. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. It's kind of an old thing. Uh-huh. And it's on its way out. So I can either wait until it's You can go gone. stand in front of Blockbuster. Yeah, I can go and hang out at Blockbuster <laughs> and hold a picket sign. Yes. Like, don't DVDs. let it go, yeah. please. Or yeah. I can adapt and adjust. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm in the stages of thinking about adapting the curriculum to, you know, videos online that are accessible anywhere sure. at time and PDFs that you can download instead of printing out. And that's stuff. a daunting yeah, piece, that's a lot I of imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. Right. I should be doing actual things to change it. Thoughts become things, hopefully. So yeah, they probably should become things faster (laughs) than they are right now. Yeah. But that's, that side of it is more where my head's at. Like, how do I keep this cool thing going? Going. Yes. Yeah. And sustainable. And so that it doesn't totally tap you and drain you out. Yeah. Trying to bring up people who can teach and want to teach and do it well and want to share in the way that I did when I was coming up um, so that they can take some of the teaching strain off of me. Right. Um, yeah, that that's part of that puzzle, too. That puzzle piece. That's a big piece, actually. Because, yeah, right, like, I don't think 25 classes a week is a sustainable... No. Long I mean, term. I've, I've yeah, done it for a long time. For, you've done it for a while. But it definitely takes a toll. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, hopefully at some point we'll get to sort of slowly back off that. And, uh, and maybe just spend the attention elsewhere mm-hmm. in, you know, the business or in the martial arts or the curriculum, trying to make it better or more accessible or, you know, implement more other things like health and wellness and mobility and right. that side of Keep things. Keep people sustained mm-hmm. through the process better. Yeah. Point people mm-hmm. in the right directions if they mm-hmm. want to, you know, take it to the limit in other ways. Well, and there's so much, I think, in our, um, it, just in the physical world, the, the culture that we have right now with training, mm-hmm. there's so much more research and um, support and different, you know, yeah. avenues of um, various kinds of trainings that can support what we're doing in the dojo. You know, I've definitely found that for me, but it takes a lot of effort and commitment and time and money, you know, to yeah. balance, like, going hard at the dojo so that I can, you know, keep working still and mm-hmm. not be hobbling around my office or um, not be injured. Yeah, know? I mean, the food piece alone yeah. is so huge. And there's still so much just misunderstanding about yes. what the best stuff to eat is. And yeah. it's like, what more basic thing is yeah, there? Like than some real food. How about real food? <laughs> yeah, there. there's certain themes that emerge, whether yeah. you're keto or whether you're paleo or right. whether you're 
I eat whatever I want whenever I want. Yeah. Um, you know, the carnivore diet. I mean, the the opposite ends of the spectrum all kind of have similar notes, like eat real food. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of the like processed food diet. No. Well, it doesn't have well, a name. Maybe, maybe there is What was that one. guy who did the documentary? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Super, super Size, size me. me. Yeah. yeah. So there was that one. There's that diet. <laughs> Which failed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess it is out there, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, people just experimenting and trying new things. And uh, I feel the same way about martial arts. Like, yeah, experiment, yeah. try new stuff. And if it, like Bruce Lee talked about, if it works for you, do it. Mm. And if it doesn't work for you, don't do it. Yeah, I Keep really abide simple. by that just in my own practice with my patients too. And mm-hmm. individualizing their nutrition needs and their movement patterns and things like that. Because it doesn't always work for them. There's work. no very magic diet or magic you know way of moving that is perfect for every single person well, maybe there is and maybe you'll find maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe so you're the one. i hope so that'd be great that would be cool so um as we close here i'd love to ask you how people can find you and um yeah uh, and sign up for your amazing dojo if they would so choose and... sure so our website is sort of karate.com s-o-r-t-o-r-k-a-r-a-t-e.com <laughs> Um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook and all those fun sites. Uh, and then we're on Empire by Port of Subs if you're in Bend. And you can come by and watch a class anytime. And our calendar's That's online. Great. It's on the website. So if you're wanting to watch a class, you can look it up. And then we always welcome people in who want to watch. Yes. Yeah. The classes are amazing. And I also, as a student, I would recommend maybe popping in for a rank test sometime too mm-hmm. or at least seeing part of it you know if yeah. you especially if you've had some martial arts experience before definitely then because yeah. i think that uh might be a little scary to yeah this. very brand new person maybe not but the what i have really seen and you touched on this in our conversation today but um are the different styles and i you know, I didn't know when I came to you guys, aside from that some people I really trust vouch yeah. for your training protocol and um, highly recommended you, I didn't know all the different styles of martial arts and, and the different levels of getting to, you know, quote, black belt. Mm-hmm. And um, your program is very high end and it's, um, you oh, know, you. probably, well, I mean, I would say it's the <laughs> best. That's <laughs> a little biased maybe, but... Um, you know, you just keep the standards really high on many levels. And, and so I think that people might be able to see that if they, you know, came in for class or came in to witness. And I, I definitely encourage folks to do that as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today and being yeah, on you're welcome. This fun. A, a victim on my show. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll be fun to reconnect at some point further down the line and see how things are going for you and, yeah, and love that. for me and where where this journey takes both of us. And um, all right. Thank you so much. Yeah.